0: I mean, what's the football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got. Brainy. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right, so, we're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this. I yeah, like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. The last time out, Washington quarterback Michael Penix Jr. had had such an amazing playoff game that we were talking about elevating him into the first round, elevating him to the top half of the first round. And this time around, we're left wondering just how many rounds he cost himself with that national title game performance. Uh, To help work through some of that and many more questions, the fallout from Black Monday, the coach firing search, all that kind of stuff, is our guy Trevor Sickman. How's it going, Trev? It's going great. Uh, What a weird national championship
1: that was but congrats to Michigan getting it done undefeated season 15 and 0 i know we're going to dig into a lot of that but uh yeah good to be with you my friend
0: yeah a lot of fallout from that not just draft related but obviously coaching as well with Jim Harbaugh being one of the the, the biggest right. names talked about uh, for the NFL coaching cycle um it was it was an interesting game you're right like i I actually watched the whole thing. We were debating whether or not that was going to happen yesterday, and I was put very much against it once Steve was threatening that the game would last till 1 a.m., given, uh, given how college football works. And after, like, w- the first quarter, I don't think the first quarter was even over, I was like, well, this game's done. <laughs> like, this, is, this is no longer a contest. I think we can, you know, forget the rest of it entirely. And then, you know, it became more of a contest, and then stopped being again late in the game.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, the very beginning of that game was not quite what it was the year before with Georgia and TCU. Right. But very early in Georgia TCU, similarly to last night, you went, "Oh no, one of these teams is desperately outmanned in the trenches, like both trenches." And it just what, and it just was not going to go well after that. I mean, they had said it on the broadcast: Michigan averaged. 19 yards per carry in the first quarter and it's just like none of Washington's defensive linemen could make an impact in that game and really there was nobody that whole year outside of Braylon Trice who was able to do too much and he was more of like a a pressure producer than he was like a run defender so that game and unfortunately Washington's team as a whole played very well into what michigan does and that is control the football run the football win the defensive line of scrimmage as well on the other side so um yeah it just came down to and was a reminder that football is one up front
0: yeah i forget where the where the point in the game was where this stat was shown but michigan at one point had like 150 yards before contact and it was sometime in the first half like i it wasn't you know, I can't remember whether it was first quarter or first you know how far into the second quarter but it was before halftime um and they that's an absurd number I mean 150 yards before contact in a game ever is a big number for it to be within one half of football is nuts I mean it's completely non-viable they were averaging whatever it was 19 yards per carry it was just they were getting wrecked um but they did clamp down after that like Washington's defense actually, I mean, you can't say it wasn't the problem because, you know, the the game definitely got away from them on multiple occasions, but they did enough over the course of the entire game to let the offense get back into it, and they couldn't, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, the final score made it look like it was kind of a blowout, but basically up until seven minutes left in that game, it was anybody's contest. You know, Washington was still behind. Like, they, they could not overcome that and even tie the football game in the second half, but they were there the whole time. I mean, it was a seven point game for a really, really long time. And if it was a two point two score game, it wasn't that far out of reach. And so, yeah, I mean, they fixed some things, obviously they clamped down and, you know, it was, I I don't know if they really changed something schematically or if it was just the defense going to the sideline and the coach basically looking all of them in the eye and being like, look, Either you play better or we get blown out. Like, that's it. Like, either you either you hold the line of scrimmage better from this point forward or we're about to get blown out in an actual championship game. And I think they probably just took a lot more pride in it after that. But, yeah, there's no doubt about it, man. Michigan punched him in the teeth, and you kind of teased it. Michael Penix Jr., not just against Texas, I would say through most of the second half of this season has been really, really good. And that Texas game was his best. I mean, it was his best game under pressure. It was his best game when it came to ball placement deep down the field, his confidence, how he navigated the pocket, all that kinds of stuff. And that game, I talked about it like it was very similar to what we saw from C.J. Stroud the previous year. The difference is, Stroud's team lost in that game, yeah. so that's all we remember <clears throat> from C.J. Stroud. There was no repeat. There was no next game for Stroud, and unfortunately for Penix, there was a next game, and Basically, all of the criticism of Penix and who he is as a prospect reared its ugly head multiple times last night. So if you were on the fence about Michael Penix at all whatsoever, him showing you basically all of his blemishes, right? Ball placement issues, struggling with touch, not setting his feet correctly. I got injured a couple of times in that game. He's got the injury history. So people are just going to bring that up, even though it's not probably not related at all whatsoever. Like everything that you had negative to say about Penix played a major factor in how the game ended up last night. So it sucks, man. It sucks. Not just as somebody who recently was kind of like, oh, okay. I guess Michael Penix is a true, legit first round quarterback, but he was one of those guys where he was, he was playing so well. He played so well against Texas. I wanted to see that be the version of him moving forward because that's fun. That would have been fun to see that version of Pennix in the NFL. And not that we still can't. <sighs> it's just more complicated now, which is, is a bummer. I wish we could talk about him glowingly the way that we have throughout the second half of the season, but uh, this game's going to be ugly when you look at his scouting report.
0: Yeah, the Stroud thing is interesting. Steve made that same point last night when we were talking. Like the best thing that could have happened to Penix, ironically, w- would have been you know somehow Washington's defense finds a way of not getting it done last last week or the the last yeah. game, right? If he if he has that game and then somehow Texas escapes at the end and and they they get the win, and all we saw the last thing we saw was him having this incredible game going down in a valiant attempt that wasn't his fault you would, the, the narrative would be completely different instead you get that one extra game and he has an absolute nightmare where you're right all of the concerns people had about him as a prospect all showed up uh, it was a bad game he was overmatched as well like it wasn't you know it's not like he just had a bad game out of nowhere i mean his offensive line had real problems and instead oh. I mean, it really is, it's going to be a swing of a round, I think. It's going to be, we were hearing top half of the first round talk off the back of last week. Now you're like, he's not making it into the first round off the back of that.
1: Yeah, because I think the conversations with him, I mentioned some of the deficiencies that you see on film from him, right? He's he's not the most prolific thrower when it comes to over the middle. They just do, they don't do that a lot in Washington's offense. They're a yeah. lot more to the sideline. And so there's not a lot of consistency, a lot of production that's like over the middle stuff from him. Um, He can throw the fastball extremely well, but the issue with him has always been touch. You know, can he take a little bit off of it when he needs to, which is a very, very important trait that you need to have as an NFL quarterback. And that's that was, of course, like did not look great last night as well. He's I think the constants with him of why even after the Texas game, people might not fall in love with him is. Won the age, you know, he's a 60 year player. So he's been in college football a long time. So he's not as young as nearly a lot of these other guys are going to be. So he's a little bit older of a prospect, which honestly, grand scheme of things. If you're a good quarterback, you can play into your mid thirties anyway. So I don't, it's not as big of an issue for me as it is for some other people, but age is an issue. Um, The injury history, obviously the two torn ACLs, the shoulder injuries, the season ending injuries, all that kinds of good, all, all that kinds of stuff gets hurt last night. He's playing through pain. You can clearly see it. So you give him that competitive toughness, which you like to see. But you know, injuries are now like something where, if you don't have that incredible Texas tape that you can that you can hang your hat on, now all of a sudden you go, all right, it's it's tape that I like, tape that I don't, plus the injury history. Now I think I agree with you. That weighs more than it ever did. um And it's yeah. I mean, I I think that the fact that it was for a national championship is 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 going to leave a bad taste in people's mouths. And uh, I agree with you. I felt like he was trending in the direction of being a top 20 pick. You know, I had him at, I had him to the Falcons at number eight in my latest mock, simply because there's so many teams that need quarterbacks and I'm kind of putting these quarterbacks in certain spots, but I felt like he was trending towards being a top 20 pick now. I think more GMs than not are just going to say, yeah, age injury. And uh, you know, the tape is still hot and cold. So it feels like he's more of a second-round pick now than uh, than he would be a first-round pick. I agree, which sucks, which sucks, but it is what it is.
0: I wonder if it makes him more likely to you know accept that senior bowl invite and try and like do some damage repair Probably. during that now, week. Now he has to. Yeah, yeah, like before that, you could have said, well, it's really close after the national title game. I don't know if I want to go through that, blah, blah, blah. Now you'd be like, I mean, dude, you have one, there's one on-field potential area now for you to roll this back and it's the senior ball it's the week of practices more important than the game itself but that's your one shot outside of that it's got to be interviews it's got to be all the other stuff and this game is out there and there's nothing you can do about it the senior ball is a way for you to actually try and tangibly readdress that on the field so I'm sure that conversation is is being had right now with him and his representatives and you know I, I I think it will probably be good for him to go to that week and try and try and fix it
1: what would if he's healthy, right? Yeah, I mean, people talked about true. him maybe having a rib injury. You know, he was kind of like grabbing his ribs and limping off the field. And you that know, ankle, you, shoot. I mean, he's got he's got a weird throwing style as it is. You know, the throwing motion is very unorthodox. You know, it's lefty, so people don't like looking at it in general just because it's a lefty. But the footwork is really inconsistent <laughs> with him. The follow through feels kind of like all over the place. It's just very unique. It's unorthodox, and so to me. I agree with you. He has a chance to re-elevate his stock if he goes to the Senior Bowl. But for a guy who might be banged up and does not have the cleanest mechanics, do you want to throw to receivers that you've never thrown to before? I mean, it also where the Senior Bowl has a chance to help him. It also has a chance to hurt him because Bo Nix is also going to the Senior Bowl. Spencer Rattler is going to the Senior Bowl. Uh, Michael Pratt is going to the senior bowl, right? Like there are good quarterbacks that are going to the senior bowl and where he could help himself. If those other guys that are throwing next to him, look more healthy, look better, throw into those new receivers. You might go, damn. Okay. That's solidifying your day two draft status for him. So maybe it's just a risk worth taking anyways. Maybe he needs to just kind of prove himself again. Certainly if he wants to get back into that full-time first round conversation, he needs to do it, but he doesn't come without the risk, especially if he's not going to be healthy when Mobile rolls around.
0: Did you see the video of his throwing motion reversed? Like someone had flipped the tape over and made him righty? No. It's no. fascinating. I, I I don't know why, but I feel, like I, I feel like every single lefty quarterback I see when the tape is flipped, I feel differently about their throwing motion. Not necessarily better, but it's definitely different. And maybe it's just my broken lizard brain, but I feel like it's worth... <laughs> Looking at every single lefty quarterback through that lens because you're whatever it it, it does, if nothing else, it just puts them on the same baseline as other quarterbacks. And you have a better, you know, you have a better comp for them than you do trying to, like, parse what his throwing motion is, even though it's completely reversed in your own head.
1: Yeah, look. Guys throwing with their left hand is, is weird no matter how you look at it. Maybe we should just <laughs> abolish all lefties. Like if you like if you're a lefty at all, it's just like, nah, you can't you can't get into any sort of throwing sport at all whatsoever. I, I feel I feel like allowed. that's
0: something that used to happen and is, is very much frowned upon these days. Like my granddad was was of the generation where they like tied your hand to pieces and like made you right right handed. So he had this like illegible scrawl for handwriting because he was a left handed kid where they literally like taped up his hand and, t- and forced him to write with his right hand i'm reasonably certain that that's very much frowned upon from an educational standpoint these days i'm not sure you can bring it back for for throwing mechanics
1: no you know you know how we we say like oh this guy played left tackle in college he could play right tackle now yeah let's just do that with michael Penix. let's just be like no he threw with his left hand in college now he's gonna throw with this right hand
0: yeah that's I mean, what we're gonna do look i'm not I'm not gonna tell you how to do your thing, but I, I wouldn't be pushing that as a as a, as a a thing going forward. Um, anyway, before we get into some of the more fallout from this game and other topics, we're gonna to talk about securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, so who are some draft-relevant people beyond Michael Penix Jr. who had good or bad games?
1: You know i brought up kind of the trenches before and you know there's some prospects in the trenches both this year and next year who are really good players i I, we kind of talked about how washington's offensive line up front got absolutely manhandled by michigan's defense but i do think that troy fountain now their left tackle played well he was certainly the best offensive lineman from washington's bunch he's somebody who I don't think he has the arm length to really stay at offensive tackle at the next level. He's just going to struggle with one-on-one blocks in space, losing that length uh, battle against NFL edge rushers. But I'm already projecting him to be a center of guard at the next level. And for what we saw last or last night, blocks out in space, him as a puller, you know, him handling guys with power, like that's the stuff that's going to translate really well. So I thought that he played well. On the flip side, Michigan's offensive line looked really, really good. Drake Nugent, their center, um, he's been fantastic all year. He could he could be a play for one of the best centers in this draft. I don't think he's going to be center one or anything, but he's somebody who could certainly be a pro. He's a guy that you want to keep your your eye on. Trevor Keegan, the guard as well. Zach Zinter wasn't in this game because he got hurt a couple of weeks ago, well, a month ago now. Um, but, I mean, he would have been another addition to this list. So Michigan's entire offensive line, I think you've got to pay attention to a lot of those guys. On the defense side of the football for Michigan, they're two interior defensive linemen. One of them is one of them is draft eligible. One of them is not. Chris Jenkins Jr., which is you know, longtime NFL defensive tackle, Chris Jenkins Sr.'s mm. son. He was awesome last night. I mean, he wins predominantly with power, but he was doing so in a way that was so violent. It was getting into the backfield very quickly. He was was able to play more free because he could get off blocks really well. Known as more of a run stopper, but I thought he showed some really good flashes as a power pass rusher last night. So he was fantastic. But then, man, the standout player, I would say, from the college football playoffs is Interior defensive lineman Mason Graham from Michigan. I mean, he was a monster against Alabama's offensive line. He was a monster against Washington's offensive line. He is incredible. Now, he's just a true sophomore, so he's not even draft eligible. But that dude's going to start very high on the interior defensive line list for next year's draft for what he can do. Again, as a power player from a nose tech to a three technique guy, you saw him with some swim moves, some push pulls, um, getting getting across guys' face, you know, one gap penetration, two gap run stopping like he was doing it all last night and i think throughout the college football playoffs so i think trenches really told the story last night and michigan's got a lot of dudes on both sides of the trenches that are going to be future pros
0: yeah, and because the offensive line was so dominant, like of course the running backs are going to look good. But both Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards had really good games, obviously, and looked good doing it. it it's it's always going to be difficult to separate that from the blocking. You know, what does that look like if it was just an average blocking performance from Michigan? Um, But because it was so dominant, I think both guys got a chance to look at their best. You know, Blake Corum, I think, is is a really good running back. I think he's the best running back in the class. I wasn't in love with Donovan Edwards at all when I watched his tape earlier in the year, like the sort of first exposure to him. But this game, I think, sort of showed you, you know, what could be there. Like if you can get this guy, and in particular, like I'm – I'm sort of slightly reassessing my opinion on him a little bit because of the home run ability that he showed really well in this game, which I think is now a bigger deal than it used to be. Just If you look at PFF grades this year for running backs, all of the top guys are like those explosive, smaller, faster running backs that can turn a crease into a 20-yard gain in an instant. right? And I think the way that the league is going now – is playing towards the strengths of those guys more than it ever has so if you have a a running back whose specialty is that type of stuff right if you can get him in any kind of space he can break off a huge gain I think that's maybe more valuable than it was in the past so that pushes guys like Donovan Edwards up a draft board relative to even three four years ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're a better athlete, you're going to be able to stand out at positions that demand more athleticism, and running back is one of those where it's predicated on athleticism. So Donovan Edwards started top 50 on the board for me going into the season because, you know, it's got, it. it I, I do feel kind of bad because if your first exposure to Donovan Edwards was what you just saw from this season, like in the episodes that we did with running backs, if you only watched his 2023 tape, you're going to be very disappointed. You're not really going to see an impact player because outside of last night, I would say... Edwards has not been a factor really at all this year. Neither is Coram, honestly. The the running game for Michigan was so much less explosive this year than it had been in previous years, and that's with a good offensive line in front of him. But Edwards, if you go back to 2022, I believe he led the country or was tied in 50-yard runs and 60-yard runs last year. He had like six of those combined. So he is somebody who always has had that home run threat, that crazy athletic ability. You certainly saw it on the second touchdown run from the national championship game. It was really great blocking. There's no doubt about it. He got a running lane, but you could see when he was like, oh, okay, here it is. I'm turning on the Jets. You go, that's an NFL running back. Like that's somebody who's got difference-making NFL athleticism. The issue for me has always just been I don't think he sees the field. I don't yeah. think he sees chaos they're, nearly as well as he needs
0: to. They're almost like polar opposite players, him and Coram. Because yes. Corum had yes. a run where he broke one off and then like ran out of gas, like hit the rev limiter, and, and got caught from behind. And you're like, if right. you gave Blake Corum Donovan Edwards home run ability, you would have like the best running back prospect in years. Right. Um, and vice versa. If you gave Donovan Edwards Blake Coram's vision and – You know, knowledge for how to set up blocks, where to go, where to hit the hole. You'd have again an elite running back prospect, but each one of them, like that's why they were you know they're a devastating combination as two of them, but it didn't quite. Each one of them has at least one thing that the other guy has that they don't.
1: Yeah, and and it's kind of disappointing. You know, when when I look at uh, Blake Corum, certainly this year, I get a little bit nervous because he had the knee injury late last year that um, did not allow him to play in the college football playoff and down the stretch for Michigan um it was the reason why he ended up coming back and look you know N- national championship perfect season i'm sure that he's happy with the fact that he right. he came back to school but the injury sucks because this year uh, corum was always going to be a little bit limit- limited athletically when it came to like top speed but his sophomore season getaway speed if you will was still fine he's like 5 foot 8 so he's just got short legs he's got short strides but he's a fast athletic dude So even for as short as the stride lengths lengths were, you were like, okay, the speed's not difference-making, but it's adequate for the pro level. This year after the knee injury, he he, he wasn't even that. And at that point, it's like, man, if you're hardly even adequate from a speed perspective, for as good as your vision is, we see guys make it happen for the NFL all the time, but it feels like there's always like, oh, okay, one or two really nice years from them, and then the team tries to replace them with, a more athletic player just because that's what the position's all about. So both Quorum and Edwards, there are things to like with them as prospects. But ultimately this year, they did not do very much outside of their offensive line. Both of those players had less than a 2.0 missed tackles force per attempt average, which what you want is you want above a point 0.3 point0 and they weren't even above 2.0. And then when it came to yards after contact, Neither of them hit that four four yards per carry average after contact that you kind of want to see in some of the better running back prospects that we've seen over the last couple of years. So it's like, man, good college players, good backs, things to like, but it goes into that conversation of how high am I drafting in this running back class? Because you mentioned that you like Blake Corum the most. Maybe I'll like Blake Corum the most as well when it's all said and done, but what does like the most mean? Because we're still probably not picking any right. of these guys in the top 40, maybe not even top 50, maybe not even top 60. I don't know. So that's, I think, the conversation.
0: Yeah. And I think the because of the sort of way that those explosive players, the home run hitters are more valuable than ever before, I do think there's a slight corresponding connection to guys without that home run gear being slightly less valuable than they were, um, but I still think they can be really good NFL players. Like David Montgomery is probably one of those examples, right? David Montgomery doesn't have that home run gear. I know he had one big run this season, but he's still a really good running back at the NFL level. He just is not going to break off any generally 50-yard runs because he doesn't have that kind of top-end gear. I think... Probably well, it's because, fits. It,
1: well, it's because he's got the feet of Ezekiel Elliott and the strength of Derrick mm. Henry and the vision of Emmitt Smith. And, you right. know, I, I, for anybody that's listening, you, the meme, the, the graphic meme that was posted many, many years ago where somebody basically compared him to the greatest running back prospects of all time.
0: <laughs> but notably absent from that list was a comparison of speed to like, you know, Bo Jackson or whatever. They never gave him that. Didn't that they, was Didn't they was say missing. like Saquon Barkley or something crazy? Now Maybe, I know, like, but I don't think they ever gave him speed one. I don't think that... Anyway, point being... David Montgomery is still a really good NFL running back, albeit one with a you know a defined weakness to his game relative to some other players. I feel like Corum can be the same kind of player, where he can be a really good NFL running back, but you just know that if over if he does get into the third level and he's trying to make it 80, he's probably only making it at 70 before somebody catches him, and I'm okay with that.
1: The graphic says athleticism of Sony Michelle. <laughs> Okay, so it's, that it's isn't feet, speed. Feet feet of Saquon Barkley, vision of Le'Beon Bell, which is incredible at yeah. the time. Uh strength of Ezekiel Elliott, and then the athleticism of Sony Michelle. Yeah. That was the David Montgomery Frankenstein.
0: But, but notably Frankenstein. absent from that is speed. And that's his that's his Achilles heel at the next level. That's true. It's anyway, true. so I literally wanted
1: to, hit literally his Achilles heel.
0: Uh, I wanted to bring this up because uh the last time we talked about Blake Corum, it prompted an email to come in to point out how stupid we were um mm-hmm. dylan callahan emails in says hey i listened to the show today about running back draft prospects and wanted to correct a statement made when talking about blake Corm, his height was brought up as a way to talk about his top end speed this argument is brought up way too often since people think that taller equals faster if this was the case then wemby would be the greatest sprinter to ever live He's not in parentheses, just in case you were confused <laughs> about whether Wemby was the fastest man alive, he's not. Um, this is almost never accurate. Usain Bolt is the exception to this. To drive this point home, the average height for a 100 meter athlete is only five foot 10. Out of the eight spots in the 100 meter final at the Olympics, only three of the runners were above five foot 10. Here's a list of more sprinters around Coram's height. Uh, at the Olympic 100-meter finals. And then, you know, a bunch of names are all 5'9 or below. Uh, mm. I don't even care about Coram. I'm just passionate about running, and I hate this narrative. So there you go. You can't. Okay. It's okay. not because he's okay, short. But, okay, but this person also kind
1: of makes our point for us. We're not saying that Blake Coram can't be fast because he's short. We're saying that because he doesn't have elite athleticism, his stride lengths are shorter because he is short. Therefore, he covers less ground because he doesn't have that crazy elite type of speed. Like, look at Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill is what five foot ten. Yeah. Tyree Kill is like one of the fastest dudes on the planet. So, it, it we're not saying that you can't be fast if you're short. But why is Usain Bolt the greatest sprinter of all time? Because he's six five. It's because he has that twitchy, crazy, explosive athleticism, and his stride length is longer. It, it's just it's it, it's how the body is built when you have that explosiveness and that twitchiness but your legs are longer you physically cover more ground that's what goes into it so I'm not saying you can't be fast if you're tall you can't be fast if you're short it's just kind of like a body composition thing when you're not elite at it if you have shorter stride lengths sure it can go into like body control I think short the, the point that they make about A lot of sprinters the average height for sprinters is smaller because a lot of times you get more concentrated power out of it but if you get a person who is bigger and and athletic in a similar vein then you'd be guys like usain bolt then you get guys like dk metcalf where it's like they're covering so much ground with every single step they're going to beat out the guys that don't cover as much ground
0: i also wonder what impact being fully clad in football pants has on that kind of stuff you know like NFL sprinters, Olympic sprinters, are all wearing lycra, right? They're all, you know, it's there's nothing they're carrying. It's just themselves and their weight. Uh, in the NFL, you've got to maneuver yourself around equipment, which is not, you know, it's something. I'm not saying it's like it changes massively the dynamics of play, but, you know, I, a smaller guy having to deal with all of the pads and helmet stuff might be different to a bigger guy. But I agree with you, like Randy Moss – you can't tell me that if Randy Moss was only six foot one, he would have had the same ability to glide past people when he's no. in that acceleration phase that he did because he's six four, six five. Like that stride length was the difference between him and other really fast guys who were only like six foot tall. The the length that he was able to bring to the table, I absolutely think. Help that acceleration phase where he just blitzed people for speed. Now, it doesn't, you know, it's not saying all six foot five people have that, but if you're already fast as hell, being six foot five makes a difference.
1: No, no. And in fact, it's the opposite. Most six foot five people don't. That's why when you get guys that are physically bigger and are still just as athletic with more muscle to move, more of a body to move, those are the kinds of players that you draft high because they are winning you know the genetic lottery if you will they are tall and still athletic normally scouting reports are all about pros and cons the give and take okay he's explosive but he's not big okay he's big but he's not explosive like you're talking about that with a lot of different prospects the rare guys that are in like what however you want to draw it like the top right corner of the quadrant you know you're maxing out one maxing out the other Those are the guys that you go after. And so those, that's what, when we talk about like speed and stride length and covering ground and things like that, it matters more when you're bigger, just because if you are able to do those things with more mass, with more length, more height, more size,
0: it means more. Um, There's just
1: less guys that can do it.
0: So one more thing to come out of this game before we move on to other topics and it kind of transitions into those topics, where do you think Jim Harbaugh ends up? Because it it does kind of sound like he is, whether he's intentionally maneuvering himself this way or simply he has been maneuvered this way, he is being seen as maybe the, you know, head coaching candidate to have this offseason. And unusually, when it comes to coaches coming from the college ranks, this is a guy with proven experience at both levels of success, right? He's not just an amazing college coach that hasn't had the NFL success. He's been good at both levels and is therefore, I'm assuming, seen as a far safer prospect than some other kind of college superstar names to to put themselves in the NFL sphere.
1: Look, if he doesn't go to the NFL now, I think he will coach Michigan for a couple more years and then retire. Like, I think he'll be done, which is kind of hard, which is hard to believe because the Harbaugh family is just, I mean, it's based around football, but... He was successful at Stanford, got to coach Andrew Luck, was successful with the 49ers, made it to a Super Bowl, almost won a Super Bowl. It goes back to Michigan, the place that his, he, he and his family just have so much, so much history with, and he just won a perfect season national championship with them. If he is going to make the jump to the NFL, it's going to be this year. And I feel like he is because I do still feel like Harbaugh has plenty left in the tank when it comes to how many years he is going to coach. And for that reason, yes, I think that he's going to make the jump. I don't exactly know where it's going to be. Um, I think certainly the Chargers job is intriguing because Justin Herbert's there. You already have the quarterback, but I think Washington could also be intriguing because you're going to have a quarterback option at number two. New England kind of makes sense when you think of, all right, who might Robert Kraft might be into? Because if you're going to move on from Bill Belichick, you can't just move on from Bill Belichick for, like, nobody. And so it feels as though name recognition, pedigree, and the fact that they're going to be getting a new quarterback as well, that also lines up well with Jim Harbaugh. I cannot see him in Carolina at all. I, I, I do not think that him and Tepper are going to mesh. That would be wild if he ends up going to the Carolina (laughs) Panthers and then for the Raiders I could see that one happening it's just not it's not as advantageous as the other spots you know I I I I see the report that's on there right now that there's mutual interest I wonder if that mutual interest is more of just he's letting everyone know that he's interested in the NFL again more than like yeah that's his top pick so I would still say the Chargers and Commanders would be the best
0: two spots for him. But what do you think about it? I feel like he's an interesting candidate or coach because I feel like he actually places value in the story, like the narrative. I think the concept of kind of rebuilding something is important, is quite important to Harbaugh. So that rules out a team like Carolina because if never really had any history to rebuild, right? It rules out the Chargers, I would imagine, for slightly different reasons. I mean, they do have history, but you're going back a long time, and it was never really sort of institutional NFL history, more AFL and blah, blah, blah. I think that starts to focus you on Washington, um, on the Raiders, and I don't think the Patriots thing is intriguing, but you don't want to be the guy that follows Belichick. Yeah, but Jim might.
1: I right. Doubt it. If there's if there's any if there's any coach that would be like, yeah, I'm the
0: next storied coach for this
1: storied franchise.
0: I just like you'd want to be that. I think you almost never want to be the guy that follows a legend, even if the legend's tenure went badly. Because I just think inevitably, if you're not able to immediately put it back the way it was at its peak, you get seen in very well- very bad light.
1: I agree with you completely that it's a tough situation to go to but of all of the head coaching candidates that we talk about on these shows who's the one who might want that position the most Vrabel. not saying that they wanted a lot i i i well Vrabel. yeah okay <laughs> I, okay to be fair i didn't believe that mike Vrabel was going anywhere until like two days ago when all that stuff started to come out and i was like what is go- how are the tennessee titans even doing this but I suppose that you're right variable would be number one on that the list. other but i think
0: harbaugh is number two the other element about harbaugh though is it's gonna cost a lot of money to make it happen i mean he's on like eight million a year or something in michigan right so if yeah but when did he sign that like ultimatum deal i don't know but my point being like you can it's going you're gonna have to make him the most the, the best paid coach in the nfl to make this happen and Are the Chargers the team that's going to make that happen? I mean, there's nothing in their history that says that's a likely outcome from them. Like, Mark Davis, sure, maybe. I mean, he gave John Gruden the monster contract to make that happen. We've no idea about the other teams. Like, Josh Harris is brand new to this. David Tepper is pretty brand new to this. I would imagine he would, but I I agree. I think that's the least likely. Kraft, who knows? I mean, I, I imagine Bill Belichick has been pretty well paid over the last few years, so... You, you sort of simply thin out the field a little bit with that you know, knowledge that whoever is getting Harbaugh is going to be making him the, most, the best paid coach in the NFL from day one, in addition to probably needing to appeal to some sort of sense of history and storyline for, for Harbaugh to be interested in the first place. Like, you know, would Arthur Blank do that for the Falcons? Eh, I doubt it.
1: trying to look up his contract because i actually think this might be more plausible than you were hinting at because now this is wikipedia i'm just trying to do like a quick search here wikipedia says that he signed a four-year contract extension through 2025 all the way back in 2021 and i don't see that he signed a contract since.
0: No, no, no. But my my point is, he's already earning eight million a year. So that's oh, your starting whoa. baseline. Oh, sure, sure, sure. You know I what thought you were trying
1: kind to of talk about like the buyout. No, no, no. So apparently, our big things. Obviously, I, th- I saw in a thing.
0: Football. No, no, no. I saw a thing yesterday that said even during the contract, the buyout was like one million or something. Like it was. Yeah. Him. Okay. Like he could gotcha. buy out his own deal for a million dollars to go yeah, to the NFL. I mean, NFL he, at any okay, point.
1: okay, yeah, but. I don't know. Which teams did you say that wouldn't be, want- wouldn't be willing to do that? I mean, I that? don't know if
0: Atlanta would automatically want to make their coach the best paid coach in the NFL. I'm not saying Arthur Blank doesn't have the checkbook to make it happen, but they don't feel like that kind of team. Whereas, billionaire, like, what, you know, David Tepper absolutely would do that if he thought he could get, uh, if he thought he could get Harbaugh. Mark yeah, Davis, I, I think, I, has already shown he would with John Gruden. You know, the Chargers, I don't think would.
1: No, that's, I, I, I agree with you. That would be an area where I would kind of push back on that. I, I would I would say that the Chargers, for as much as people like the Herbert Harbaugh connection, do they immediately want to make Harbaugh the highest pick coach? And you know what? Who knows? Maybe it's unanimous, right? Maybe it's right. He's coming off a 15-0 and national championship season. Um, honestly, if they wouldn't have choked against against tcu last year they would have made the national championship the previous season so clearly a massive team builder maybe everybody would be interested even at the higher price tag because maybe people are fooled you know how you know consume we the american consumer are sometimes fooled by like oh okay here are two products one of them's 110 dollars. <laughs> one of them's 200 dollars. well the two hundred dollar one's got to be nicer, right? It's got to be better. We gotta we gotta check out the two hundred dollar one because I don't want to, you know, I don't want a bargain shop here. Maybe owners feel the same way. Maybe owners are looking at these head coaches and they go, "Well, okay, Harbaugh's more expensive, but there, you know, there's there's a, there's a reason why he's more expensive because we're for sure, you know, if we land him, it's it's all gravy, it's all smooth sailing. So maybe owners start to suffer from some modern day consumerism there.
0: I saw. I saw a breakdown of his contract somewhere on Twitter yesterday and I'm I'm always fascinated with extremely rich people and how granular and petty they are willing to be with certain like monetary exchanges, you know, like hey, make sure I get make sure I get this expense back, right? I got to get my coffee back even though I'm worth like 17 million dollars right now. It, like they there's in some ways very rich millionaires or billionaires are way more focused on the pennies than i am who has no money which you could say there's a cause or effect thing happening there I was right? maybe, say. Maybe, maybe maybe i would have a lot more money if i was focused on getting the 5 dollar coffee back into my account but anyway
1: Part you're, just, of, you're you're gonna be you're gonna start just becoming ruthless. You and I are gonna go to the combine, <laughs> and you're gonna be like, "Hey, brother, yeah, can you can you uh can you Venmo me the twelve sixty six and make sure you throw the sixty six in there for your uh for your Chipotle order yeah. that I ordered? I
0: know that this is actually discounted when I paid, but the sticker price for this is seventeen cents. Oh, more. now that's I'm diabolical. Gonna need, I'm gonna need the full sticker price back. Um, that's diabolical. Anyway, part of his contract apparently included an apparel budget of $4,000 a year to spend on Michigan merchandise. So This is a man with a contract that's paying him $8.3 million a year and yet was still focused on getting four grand's worth of Michigan swag at each calendar year. That, I just, I am I am endlessly fascinated by that. I'm sure, I, like, who knows? Maybe this is just the agent and Harbaugh doesn't even know about it until the guy comes to him later and says, here's your deal. But... The idea that a guy getting eight and a half million a year would actually like, hey, make sure you tell him I need four grand's worth of budget to go and buy like the same khaki pants and a Michigan polo 50 times.
1: That is kind of funny. I actually <laughs> I actually might respect him more now, actually. The fact, look, no matter how much money you make,
0: there's always being able to being
1: able to look at something and buy something and they go, Yeah, no, nah, it's on the house. It's free. Yeah. There's nothing like it. The, the feeling of free doesn't change no matter how much money you have. Everybody loves free shit. I feel like it should, though, right? Like, when you have... No, 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 okay. But, it, like, look, impact might be a little bit different, yeah. but everybody likes getting free stuff.
0: Uh, they do. I'm just not sure. At some point, it feels like there should be no difference to you tangibly between this is free and this is costing me so little money relative to my income that I don't notice the difference. See that's why you're poor, and you're always going to be poor. It probably Sam. is. It probably you is. need to think
1: like an absolute
0: yeah. savage. I don't. I don't. Though. Next that's PFF
1: contract, you got to have at least two hundred dollars a year on PFF merchandise. Yes, absolutely.
0: Or yeah, what that we should start a. We, that's the emails we need in, right? What can I ask for in my contract? Whether it's free stuff from PFF or like what absolute nickel and dime thing <laughs> can I get them to credit back for me for like doing my job, right?
1: I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a slack from uh, from Chris or Austin later today, and they're gonna be like, "What do you do? What are you doing? You trying to put us out of business?" Sam now put in his contract that he needs all this free. <laughs> all I need stuff.
0: I need like I need like a PFF credit that gets me one <laughs> at one level up of the internet that I'm currently paying for, whatever that is. All right, now that
1: one's actually that one's actually got return on investment.
0: Yeah, yeah. Before we get into uh, the coaching carousel that's currently taking place, we've got to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL playoffs. It's bringing you an offer that will help make the playoffs electrifying. New customers can bet 5 bucks on any game and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code PFF. New customers can bet just 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code PFF. The crown is yours. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. Uh, in New York call 877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE NY 46 uh, Seven three six nine in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call, 9, Call eight 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 seven nine. Jesus. Call seven eight nine7777 This is not helpful. Reading numbers written out as words. Or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Twenty-one plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire. Uh, 168 hours after issuance, C D K N Y dot com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Whew. I've never encountered that before where somebody has yeah. written out numbers as as words. It fritzes my brain out. I can't read numbers written down as actual words. They We doesn't Draft, work.
1: DraftKings DraftKings also sponsors NFL S E, so they're the go. first episode where they had switched that up in, in the read. I was similarly like, I was just like, I, I, don't, know what to, I don't know what to do here. And, uh, you know, we powered through it. We powered through it. And so now- it's,
0: it's never occurred to me that that would be a problem. But apparently reading numbers written out as, as words is bizarrely difficult to do when they're in a sequence. Wow. No, we got it. We got it for next time. Okay. Uh, coaching carousel. So we talked mm-hmm. a little bit on yesterday's show as the firings were already happening. Um, we were, you know, breaking down the news that, that happened. One of the things that happened yesterday it was an unexpected and interesting development. Wink Martindale, defensive coordinator of the Giants, uh, owner of what Steve calls the crazy defense, uh, resigned. Just up and quit. And the talk was there was sort of friction or disagreement or just general disharmony between Wink and Brian Dayball and the whole giant setup there. This is a kind of wild development. He, I mean, I think he will clearly have suitors. There are a lot of people that respect that quote-unquote crazy defense a lot. It it tends to get better results than you think that it maybe should, given how aggressive that it is. So I think he's going to have plenty of phone calls coming his way. And then from the Giants, you know, they just sort of, started to construct this defense along the way that Wink Martindale would want, and now he's not there.
1: Yeah, that's the part that's the most interesting for it, right, is that Martindale plays this kind of, like Steve said, this this crazy unorthodox defense where – There's just they're throwing a lot of stuff at you and they're being really aggressive in the way that they do it. You know, they're throwing a lot of uh, uh, blitzes your way. There's a lot of single high coverage, a lot of man coverage stuff, really tough responsibilities and a lot of high demand on a lot of those defensive players. So you got to have smart players, but you got to have really good athletes, too, to be able to play in this this wing system. And and it kind of I don't say throws a wrench in things, but it's it's definitely interesting that we're going to follow okay, who comes next. Like what defensive coordinator do you go out and get? Because it's not like there's a ton of guys who are successful at this type of defensive coaching philosophy that aren't really already in these positions. Um, you look, look at Brian Flores, all right? Well, he's already a defensive coordinator. you like a Vic Fangio. Okay. Well, he's already a defensive coordinator. So there's just not a lot of these like hyper aggressive DCs that um, aren't already in positions that are, that are there. So I don't really know which direction that they're going to go. I think the more interesting conversation piece about this isn't necessarily what happens with the Giants' defense. It's, okay, what happened between Dable and Martindale? Because there's clips from earlier this season where they're kind of getting into it a little bit on the sideline. And, you know, it was obviously not a good year from a lot of different ways with the Giants. I know they suffered some injuries that were unfortunate, but you're coming off of a playoff berth. You're coming off of a coach of the year candidacy for day bowl. You're coming off of, you know, the Giants really outperforming what a lot of people thought that they were going to be back in that 2022, 2023 season, and absolutely came out, fell flat on their face this year. And I think there was a lot of friction with a lot of people in that building. So now you really get to find out, I think, what kind of head coach Brian Dable is because for Martindale to just kind of up and and say at the end of the year, you're like, yep, I'm done. Because for as much as we want to sit here and say, oh, man, there's only 32 head coaching jobs in the NFL. like These things are so valuable. Same thing with defense coordinators, right? And especially if you are a defensive coordinator that's under a defensive-minded head coach, sometimes you're not even fully that. So for Wink to just be like, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out of here that's it really had to get to a point where clearly this was not salvageable and you have to raise your eyebrow with that looking at Dable and be like all right what what went on here because it felt like it felt like wink had a lot of freedom of what to do yeah. on that side of the ball you deploy the defensive players how you want we'll get a lot of the defensive players that you want and i'm sure it wasn't quite that perfect but it felt like he had a lot of respect and freedom there. Maybe he didn't behind the scenes. Maybe that's part of the story. But thinking all of that from my side of of, of things, it raises an interesting question about what's going to happen now with Dayball and how all of a sudden, just a year removed from him being coach of the year, 2024 becomes basically a prove it year for him. Giants, if the Giants suck again, that th- I think Dayball's gone. Yeah, So and it's it just sets up an interesting year.
0: I mean, maybe he did have that freedom and Dayball wanted him to have less at certain times. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe, other, yeah. The other thing is, like, if you were looking at, you know, blame around the Giants organization, I mean, I think the defense is less culpable this year than the offense was. Like, the offense was the problem for most sure. of this year, way more than the defense was. So I don't know if, if Dayball was, you know, annoyed and put too much sort of blame or, or – anger, ire in the direction of Wink, and he just got sick of that and went, look, my unit is outperforming yours. Shut the hell up. Um, but yeah, it's a you don't tend to see that. A guy just up and quit because he's kind of fed up with how the working relationship is with the head coach. In fact, I can't think of the last time that's happened. I'm sure it has happened before, but definitely an unusual situation here. The other one that is starting to fascinate me is the Carolina search, searches, are underway with gas being poured on this thing. They've apparently hired a consultancy firm to help them whittle down candidates. They've already requested interviews with, I think, nine head coaching candidates, including, by the way, PFF Bobby, first-year Hell offense yeah. coordinator with the Houston Texans, is, is, is in demand for head coaching jobs. Um, but nine head coaching candidates, a bunch of GM candidates is already. Who, are, who wants that job? I guess is the easiest way of of asking that question. That's
1: the question, right? I mean, again, I said there's only 32 of these things and so everybody should, but given what has happened in Carolina, how Tepper is yet again hiring another head coach and it's another failed uh, coaching search, coaching assessment, coaching tenure under David Tepper. It felt like the balance of power with fitterer there but he came in after matt rule so he didn't really have a lot of power and then he kind of did when frank reich was there but then reich wasn't great and then fitterer is now fired it's like man it just felt like the decision making pyramid or pyramid of power if you will was like all out of place and david tepper's at the very top we know that but how big of a chunk of the pyramid is David Tepper is he actually going to allow the general manager to kind of do the job that they are hired to do um and I don't say that in just the tasks but I also mean allowed to fail the freedom to make the decisions like those kinds of things because for as much as Tepper kind of comes out and says no no no, like I, I trust these guys completely they're making the decisions I don't know how much that's the case I really don't so they're going to cast a wide net. There's no doubt about it. You know, Ben Johnson, I think, was requested for a second interview with them. When I say second, I mean that he interviewed with them year last ago. year before yeah. taking his name out of the hat and and going back to Detroit. And there's, um, you you mentioned PFF Bobby is uh, is one of those candidates. Dave Canales, the offensive coordinator for the Bucs, is Joe Munkin or sorry uh, Todd Munkin. I think it was was one of those as well. This was on the list for Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn, the defense coordinator for the Cowboys, he's got a lot of. Um, requests and Carolina is one of them. So they're casting a really wide net, but the question remains the same: whether you're an offensive coach, whether you're a defensive coach, whether you're young, whether you're old, who wants to work in Carolina right now? Yeah. Because, damn it, 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 they. When you are an owner and a general manager and just a front office, you have the ability to keep things pretty quiet. You have the ability to keep things pretty closed door. And it feels like we have already figured out a lot about how frustrating it's been in Carolina. Um, It just doesn't bode well for whoever's coming in there next. You've got to have this guarantee that you're going to be able to do the job that you were hired to do without somebody looking over your shoulder, especially somebody who has never coached before. And I don't know if that's the case in Carolina. Maybe it is. But as the head coach, you also can't walk come walking in that door in Carolina and tell the owner of the franchise, "Hey, I want full control or I want the freedom to be able to do what I want." The owner could be like, "All right, get out of here!" <laughs> like it just it doesn't it doesn't really happen like that. And I think Matt Rule was the guy who actually had that sort of power, and it fell so flat on its face that I don't think Tebber's going to do that again.
0: When so, I, yeah, I do I don't know I don't know the answer to the question of who's going to want this job. So we'll see. When uh, Schefter, I think, tweeted yesterday that PFF Bobby was getting an interview in Carolina. You know, I tweeted out being, "Hey, look at PFF Bobby go!" The number of people that tweeted me back and said, "Tell him not to take that job," <laughs> was insane. And I get it. I mean, this is the thing. This is now a job opening where the the candidates of the PFF Bobby style, you know, young, up and coming, sort of first first head coaching opportunity type. I doubt they want it. I mean, this is why Ben Johnson withdrew his name a year ago. I, I don't imagine he's going to want it any more this time around than he did a year ago. Like the, the the interview is one thing, but I'd be very shocked if if Ben Johnson became the Carolina Panthers head coach without a biblical sum of money being thrown in his direction. So,
1: well, it, if if you are a if you are a head coach that has options. Carolina can't be high on the
0: list, right? So this yeah. is what I'm saying. I think the young, I think the young up and coming coaches that are going to are sort of in demand right now are not going to want that as their first job. I think right. the other end of the spectrum, the Dan Quins of the world, the guys that have sort of had a shot, failed, rebuilt their reputation, are hot candidates again to, to, to give it a second try. I don't think they're going to want a, a piece of it either because they're like, I, I understand what went wrong the first time around. I need to make sure I can do all those things, whatever it is. To, mm-hmm. to say that it doesn't happen again. The last thing I need is just a loose cannon in the form of ownership, like lobbing mortars on me randomly throughout the course of a given week. So I don't see them wanting to be interested in it, which leaves you with what exactly? Like the candidates that nobody kind of wants in the first place.
1: I think it's going to be somebody on the extreme ends of the spectrum that you just talked about there. If you are a young or or old head coach and you have options, I don't think Carolina is going to be very high, but you know, I don't, I, I don't think it's going to be Dan Quinn. Cause I think Dan Quinn's got options, but just as a, as an argument, like if Dan Quinn felt like this was his last shot at, at getting yeah. a head coaching gig, that's probably an older seasoned candidate that would take it. If you were a young offensive coordinator, like I look at Dave Canales and Dave Canales has done some really nice things with the Buccaneers this year, but It was his first year as an offensive coordinator. It was his first year as a play caller. And so when it comes to Bobby Slovic, uh, Ben Johnson, um, Brian Callahan, like Jim Harbaugh, like like a, a bunch of these other like head coaching candidates who might have other options, they might have more to their resume to get more interviews and have more looks. I don't know how many head coach interviews this cycle dave Canales is going to get other than carolina so if he if he gets this and if he if the interview goes well enough and if some of these other candidates that maybe they're above him end up saying no if Canales has a head coaching option on the table and this was the only place that he interviewed for that's a guy who i could see taking this job just because of like i said at the very beginning only third are only 32 of these yeah you don't get very many you don't get very many shots to be a head coach what happens next year if he comes back and calls plays for the Bucks and things absolutely tank? Now I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but what happens then? Well, then you're not getting head. Look at Byron Leftwich, right? From the same franchise, Byron Leftwich, those early Brady years, he was, all, he almost had ink on the paper to be the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and then that kind of fell through. And we went, ah, you know, he'll it some other opportunity will come up for him. Leftwich ain't even in the league, so that's where I think a young or old candidate might be interested in Carolina if they feel that is either their last shot or their only shot. And that's kind of who I ultimately think is probably going to get the gig in Carolina.
0: Yeah. To be clear for, and to, to their credit, every candidate I've seen named as somebody that they're trying to get an interview with, I think is a good option. Like I think they're, they're hitting Mm -hmm. the right names. Um, But equally because of that, I guess I have yet to see a name that I think would take that job if it was offered to them. Like I I think both Canales and PFF Bobby I think they both stay where they are for a year rather than take that job, it, you know, if the, if they if that's the only opportunity they get, right? Whether it's interview or whether it's he interviews a bunch of places and that's the only one that offers him the job. I mean, who the hell knows? I, I haven't asked him, and I certainly am not speaking with any kind of inside information. But I would imagine Bobby would take another year in Houston, do it over, you know, come back an even hotter candidate next year and look for better opportunities than take the Carolina job because he's like, wow, what if that doesn't happen? You know, what if I stink next year? What if it what if this is my one shot? I feel like those guys have more self-confidence, delusional or not, uh, Than to sort of think that way and say, I got to take this. I got to take the job.
1: Yeah. uh, But again, you know, money and opportunity talks. Money is the thing. Tepper's got a lot of money. And I I know a lot of these guys certainly take pride in it. The the ones who are, who have aspirations to be head coaches, will want to be head coaches. And and they don't want to just go in any situation and kind of like ruin their head coaching reputation. So that's absolutely something that you think about. But like, If somebody's about to pay you, uh, let's just say, seven and a half more million dollars a year than you're currently making, and you're about to ink a three or four year head coach deal where that is fully guaranteed, that is generational wealth. Money. That is very difficult to say no to. Money
0: changes everything. And the only NFL owners with more money than David Tepper are the Broncos ownership group who already you know, already made their move a year ago, so they're not even in the running, right? Tepper has, he is the biggest fish in whatever pool he is in financially. And yeah, like he's also, by the way, I mean, if you read any of those sort of articles about David Tepper and what he's like as an individual, in addition to what we're seeing, just from publicly available clips of him lobbing water on fans and screaming outside of, you know, rooms and stuff, he, one of the things that it it sort of brought up in that is, he has so much money that he is, w- and he is willing to weaponize that money out of whatever whim takes his fancy, right? Now, one of the stories in an article was, was about him musing that he could just, like, buy a restaurant of a guy that was a jerk to him as a server and, like, ruin it, right? Just to get back. Like, you were a dick to me, so I'm going to buy your business, bankrupt it, and put you out of a job. That feels like an equal trade-off here. What I'm saying is... Ben Johnson has already disrespected the man, right? He's already said, no, I'm not interested in your job. I would rather be at a lower position elsewhere because you are such a mess. If David Tepper comes back to Ben Johnson again and is like, I'm going to ask you for a second time in a row, do you want my head coaching job? And Ben Johnson tries to turn him down again. David Tepper is going to back up all of the money in the known universe and say, He's going
1: to buy the Lions. Right. And (laughs) say,
0: All right, turn me down now, Ben. I dare you. I am offering you $15 million a year. I dare you to turn it down.
1: No, at that point, he's going to sell the Panthers, (laughs) buy the Lions, and then fire... Ben Johnson
0: no he can't so that he knows that he can't like ruin him so what he has to do is to make him accept the job right and the only way to do that is to just keep increasing the number of zeros on the end of the offer until he says yes I mean that's my dream scenario <laughs> I, I mean <laughs> but I think that's that's the one area where it could all change right he could offer yeah, right. somebody it's, the it's, job
1: it's the money thing but again they again, say no I, I think that these coordinators who have options yeah elsewhere or know that they are solidified enough to maybe have options in the future which i will say is a very risky thing to do right we talked about some of these other guys who have been uh, offensive defensive coordinator candidates hot on one side or the other and and it just has fallen through they never became head coaches i think that happens all the time so the time and to think that you might have that opportunity a year from now, two years from now, whenever it is, that's a dangerous game to play. But the one of money can change a lot of things and for it, a lot of
0: people. And so. it changes it even for people that are filthy, stinking rich. You know, like you only have to look at how the sort of the Saudi pro league in soccer is busy, you know, just they throw money at players that are already rich. These guys have been earning, you know, two hundred thousand a week for the last X number of years, and Saudi is still able to throw like game-changing money at them to the point where they're willing to go over and change everything, you know? So I, I think it's David Tepper has the financial firepower to change the conversation, even to people that have made millions and have millions and are sitting there with a lot of money already. Like if David Tepper wants Dan Quinn, I'm sure Dan Quinn has made a ton, a boatload of money already in his NFL career, right? David Tepper can still change the dynamic with the number of zeros he puts on the end of that offer to Dan Quinn in a way that might make him change his mind. You know, he's got that kind of uh, financial firepower. Absolutely. So let me wrap up the conversation with head coaching. Which is the job you would want the most? And I include, so the available jobs, the ones that are already open right now, but also include the ones that you think might come up. So we assume, I think at this point, that New England is going to be available Mm-hmm. If Mike Vrabel goes to New England, you know, Tennessee becomes available. So mm-hmm. which job, either currently available or theoretically available, are you most interested in if you are the next head coaching candidate? Uh,
1: to me, it's it's easy. Washington at, at number one. We had an episode on NFL Stock Exchange where we fixed to the commanders and we went through a lot of things. And we talked a lot about Josh Harris and the new ownership group that is there. And I talked about this on the podcast I'm I'm 32 years old, okay? Um, Dan Snyder bought the uh, Washington franchise in 1999. I've never really known Washington's franchise to be anything else other than Dan Snyder's. And so for a long time, the better part of the last 20 years, people have told me that Washington has this rich history and this this uh this this deep passionate fan base and that you know when washington's good it's just so much better for the league and all that i've never known that the only thing that i've ever really observed from washington or of course like you know kind of the rg3 years which they had some craze there but outside of that it was you know bad Dan Snyder report one year after the other how bad it was to work there how toxic of a workplace it was how cheap he was in so many ways how he cut corners how fans didn't even like him and so I've always kind of felt like Washington was this second tier third tier NFL franchise it's never been legit to me but with Harris taking over looking at how experienced that he is with running pro sports franchises you know he's a majority owner of the, the the Sixers of the New Jersey Devils He's also like part owner of some other sports teams as well. Like he's very experienced in this. You look at some of the uh, help for consulting hires that he's had for this, uh, not general manager process, but head coaching process, you know, that he's going through it in a very serious way. They have the number two overall pick. So you're getting either Caleb Williams or Drake may on a rookie contract. That's guaranteed. You have a lot of money to work within free agency. Not a lot of that roster is entrenched. A lot of it can be flexible, especially over the next two to two years you have the opportunity as a head coach to build that team however you want with a brain trust that sounds really great in theory obviously we'll see if it works but a really great brain trust an experienced owner somebody who knows what it takes to win somebody who's already learned a lot of ownership life lessons but isn't dan snyder a fan base that will be rejuvenated and very passionate once that uh once that dial starts to turn if you will to me, it's Washington. I think that there, just everywhere you look of why you would want this head coaching gig, I think Washington checks those boxes.
0: Yeah, I think Washington makes a lot of sense. Um, and actually, I, there aren't many available right now that you think are great jobs. Like Washington, probably is. It depends a little bit on what Josh Harris is going to be as an owner, which at the minimum now I think is a little is, is unknown, right? If you're if you're the candidate coming in. You can't be certain about it even if you think okay track record other sports all those kinds of things there's a lot of good things right now but it's still it's guesswork you know and if it if it goes badly who knows that changes the whole dynamic um carolina we talked about it's just it's a horrible job right now uh even if you just looked at it in football terms i don't think that's a particularly good job because bryce young just had one of the worst rookie seasons of NFL quarterback of any, you know, high end NFL quarterback, high draft pick quarterback in living memory. So your job is now to fix Bryce Young, and that might not be a doable thing. And I don't imagine the owner is gonna listen to that answer if that ends up being what it is. Sorry, you goofed the pick. I can't fix this guy. Like (laughs) if that's what the reality is in a year's time, you you're gonna be the guy that pays for it, not the owner. So in football terms, I don't think that's a great job. Uh, The Raiders, yeah, it's always been a bit of a mess. And you've got to be the guy that meant they didn't hire Antonio Pierce. You're not going to get a lot of love for that. Um, The Chargers, Justin Herbert makes it interesting. It's the biggest piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Everything else about that opportunity, though, is a bit sort of strange. The one uh, that I like a lot is Atlanta. Atlanta's is like, a good one. Yeah. I think you have a good owner who's willing to invest and spend and put money in the the ancillary things that some owners owners don't. You know, Arthur Blank wants to be at the top end of that NFLPA report card thing, right? Like, put all the money into right. all the other things. He's also willing to spend money like on on in the playing side of things, the coaching side of things, and that roster is pretty good. Like, you really are kind of a quarterback away. You just need to find the quarterback. And unlike Washington, you don't have the obvious, hey, we're picking top two. We've got one of the top two guys. You've got to find a creative solution or you've got to find the right guy. But theoretically, I think that is a very good job.
1: I also feel as though Atlanta's going to get super aggressive here in the draft. Like, I really feel that way. They've had opportunities to get quarterbacks over the last couple of years and have passed. They've played kind of like the patient game. While Terry Fondo has been the general manager for them. Uh, I think Arthur Blank's fed up. Like, I don't think you fire Arthur Smith just on a whim if you're not ready to fully change things. I, I really do feel as though Atlanta is poised to, sitting at number eight overall in the draft, they are going to be a major trade-up candidate, I think. I, I think that they're sick of it. And I I think that you, what you said is correct. A lot of the rest of the roster is there. You go up and you get a quarterback um, that can basically change everything for them. I, not that they're immediately like this playoff ready gonna take over the nfc kind of a team but you entrench a good quarterback in there and all of a sudden you're immediately within that conversation especially if the division stays not as strong as it is uh right now so i, I think that that is an attractive job there's no doubt about it and I-, I think that atlanta is going to be one of those aggressive teams this offseason
0: no I-, I think that makes a lot of sense i've got to say i i would love to see antonio pierce get given an opportunity with the raiders as the full-time head coach i think given what he's done this season I don't want to say. I mean, yeah, he's earned it, and I think it would be an intriguing thing to watch take place just simply as an intellectual exercise. I also, though, would love to see Jim Harbaugh like bring the Raiders back to what they used to be. Harbaugh like rebuilding the Raiders into like the 1980s version of the Raiders, where they are this like powerful, destructive, dominant force on their side of the NFL would be pretty amazing. Like, not just for his legacy. But, you know, they are one of those storied franchises in the NFL. They have cachet that's kind of waned in recent years because of all the misses. You know, it's not really been successful since, I mean, not even since Al Davis died, but, like, since before that. You know, they've been losing their way for a while. Jim Harbaugh coming back to, like, rebuild the Raiders franchise would be an amazing NFL storyline.
1: NFL would love it. NFL would love it, no question about it.
0: All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Tomorrow, we are back with our awards show. Um, we will break down a little bit with the sort of the main AP-style awards, but also ones that PFF does all by ourselves. So not just the MVP, which, as you all know, we hate because of the value element, but the best player, the Stevenson Award, the PFF does every year. Trev's going to be back to help me do that, and we will uh, talk to you then. Thanks for listening.